Our scripture passage this morning is Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we indeed are here to corporately praise your name. You and you alone are worthy of all praise and now we come to you asking for your help and we want to pray for one of our dear sisters and members Misty Gutting as she has yet received more bad news another setback and indeed another surgery this coming week and so we pray for your grace to be near in a special way. God we pray for wisdom and skill with the surgeons pray that it would be a successful surgery pray for healing pray for a quick recovery Most of all, God, I pray for Misty's faith. I pray that in the midst of just such a terrible trial, setback after setback, that you would be her portion, that she would look to you, that she would suffer well, that she would have an inexplicable joy because her feet are on the rock. Pray for Brian to lead her well pray the same for him. May his faith be strong. May he point her to you again and again and again. Thankful for their partnership and their marriage and being able to care for one another in such a time. So we just ask for continued help. God, we also pray for Shirley Moon as she's been battling vertigo as of late, that you would heal her, that you would get rid of it and she'd be able to function well and especially be able to return to us. Thank you for the many members that are loving her well. Thank you for that Sunday school class filled with blessed souls and Pray that they would continue to love one another and care for one another and spur one another on to love and good deeds. We do pray for our brothers in Columbia, for Josh and Chris and Nathan, that you would be with them. I pray that this week would have been very fruitful. And if it's your will, that we would be able to find a like-minded gospel partnership that we could continue to see the gospel promoted. I pray that you would bring them home safely and soundly, be with their families as they await for their return. God, I pray for the anxious among us this morning, that your word would be a balm to the soul, that they would be challenged, but also comforted, 
and, and resolved and renewed as we think about what the Lord of the world has to say about anxiety. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but your word stands forever. We pray this through Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I was able to take my family on vacation in the Smoky Mountains. Thanks so much for caring for us well and praying for us. It was a really a good time and tons of just beauty and tons of scenic roads. We did a lot of hiking and a lot of driving and a lot of the driving, if you've ever been there, it's these twisty roads that are just overshadowed by a canopy of trees, these tall things that grow from the ground and have leaves. And so half the time you're just covered and it was, it was beautiful, but I asked the kids at one point, hey guys, what, what's something that they're missing here that we have back home? And besides brisket and chips and salsa and Tex-Mex, the answer was West Texas skies. People crack on West Texas, and it's not the prettiest place, a little flat, lacks of trees, but we have beautiful skies, big, wide open, blue skies, and the land is so flat that if there's ever a fire, everyone in Taylor County knows about it. And when you see smoke, wherever it may be, it's always an indicator. Smoke is a sign of something else going on down on the grounds, and so is anxiety and worry. Anxiety is the smoke that rises from a heart that's not fully trusting in God. Jesus is going to show us. He's been laying out the ethics of the kingdom. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount now for a good while, and we're in Matthew chapter 6. So would you go ahead and open up your Bible and turn there. If you're using one of our Bibles there in the chair, it's page 761. And as Jesus is showing us the way, he's, he gets in our personal lives, doesn't he? He's done it multiple times, and he'll do it again this morning. Jesus says the kingdom is here. Well, what does it look like when Jesus is king? We're going to learn that anxiety is an unwelcome guest. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Matthew six twenty-five. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So Jesus commands us, do not be anxious. And right off the bat, we're confronted with 21st century American culture, aren't we? Because we're taught by the culture that we can't help it. We're told that our physiology is determinative. And so we're stuck. It's really shifted. It wasn't always that way. And even in American culture, the whole idea of personal responsibility is lost. One sociologist commenting on this change, Christina Summer, she says that we've moved from sin to syndrome. And now psychiatrists are the new secular priests with all the solutions. And so we're taught that we're victims of anxiety. We can't help it. We have no control over it. And therefore we're not responsible to overcome it. But Jesus disagrees. Jesus says that anxiety is actually an emotion to be battled. Now listen, there certainly are physical factors to be considered. We're, we're psychosomatic people. 
Our bodies and our souls are connected. But followers of Jesus cannot buy the lie that we're stuck, that we're helpless. Jesus repeats himself three times. Notice he says it there in verse 25, but look down at verse 31, says it again. Therefore, do not be anxious. And then he says it again in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious. Your translation may say, do not worry. Because they're basically the same thing. Fear and worry and anxiety, they're all first cousins. They may vary in intensity, but essentially forms of the same sinful emotion that all of us battle to some extent. Different things trigger it in different ways and we all respond differently but we battle it some more than others so anxiety and fear they're really just worry maybe amped up a little bit and the bible commands us do not fear in fact it commands us do not fear some 100 times so whatever we call it it's not god's will for us he has better it's an emotion that does not accord with the rule of jesus it's not fitting for the kingdom of heaven What does it look like when God becomes king, when the kingdom of God dawns? When Jesus is on the throne, well, people don't worry. They don't panic in the storm because they know his power. They know his goodness. Even the winds and waves obey him. There's a hill on Golgotha where our debt was paid, where it is finished. The tomb is empty. The right man is at the helm of the cosmos. We going to be all right. So when we zoom out and we consider him, it really is just an emotion. It's silly at the end of the day. When we really zoom out and gain perspective, it's a silly emotion that doesn't belong. But here's the problem. It's a battle we must fight. Some of us every hour to keep the right state of mind. The king here, he says, do not be anxious. And we need to hear him here because anxiety is really serious because it leads to so many different sinful actions and attitudes. Just think about it with me for a moment. Anxiety about money can lead to coveting and greed and theft anxiety about success can lead to anger and irritability anxiety about relationships can make you isolate yourself or maybe be rude or uncaring anxiety about people pleasing can lead to lies can lead to pride can lead to despair, on and on and on. Getting a handle, getting victory over anxiety can lead to victory in so many other areas. And so we need to heed what the Lord says this morning. He says, life is more than food, the body more than clothing. And then Jesus points to the pages of creation to give us reasons why we shouldn't worry. Look at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet... Your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? He says, look at the birds. Consider the birds. They make no provision for the future, and yet your father takes care of them. And you're more valuable than birds. Sorry, PETA. In God's economy, humans are more important than animals. God cares for animals, but he cares for you more. And by the way, this isn't an argument for laziness. Luther said, God doesn't drop the food into the bird's mouth. But the point is, God provides, and so we should trust him as we work. And then Jesus points to the futility of worry. Look at the next verse there in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Jesus, always practical. Is your anxiety actually helping anything? 
Is it adding to your life? No, in fact, it's probably taken away from your life. It's more likely to shorten your life, not lengthen it. Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. And you know, so much of our anxiety and fear and worry is actually about adding to our life, isn't it? So many of the things that we're anxious about or, or fearful about or worry about are actually because it might ultimately end, in our, end our life. Length of life is kind of the, the, the worry behind the worry oftentimes. Hebrews 2 says that we're all worried about that. It's ultimately the fear of death that drives so much of our more superficial anxieties and worries. Hebrews 2, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, we have flesh and blood. He, Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He became a man. God became a man. Why? That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. What a verse. It's really a Christmas verse. Why did God become man? God became man to destroy the devil. To destroy the one who had the power of death. To deliver us all. Deliver his people from the fear of death. From lifelong slavery slavery and if you're not a Christian here this morning you should fear death maybe more than you do if you don't know the Lord you should actually you should be filled with anxiety you have no reason not to be filled with anxiety you're going to die it's coming soon and Hebrews says it's appointed for men to die once and then comes judgments because of our sin we all deserve judgments we deserve death and hell, but the good news, the gospel is that God didn't leave us to ourselves. God sent his son to come, to die on a cross, to conquer death, to ascend to the right hand of God. And he promises the forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all who trust him and submit to his lordship. Through death, he destroyed the one who has the power of death. And so if you don't know him, let me just invite you, come to Christ. Come to the Lord. Turn from your sin and turn to the Lord. And if you have come to Christ and you know him, you shouldn't fear dying. As we just sang, death has lost its sting. So when we understand the gospel, we understand Easter, we understand resurrection. That primary fear is taken care of and it should help us not to be anxious about the little fears that surround it. We ought to hope in God and realize that our lifespan is not up to us. Our days are numbered and they're not numbered by us. It's really freeing, isn't it? George Whitfield said that we are actually immortal until our work on earth is finished. So Jesus says it's a futile emotion. It doesn't add to your life. Look next, verse 28, Matthew 6. And why are you anxious about clothing, Jesus says? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus says, don't worry about food. Take a look at the birds. Don't worry about clothing. Consider the flowers of the field. They don't toil. They don't spin. And yet they're more glorious than Solomon in all his splendor. The flowers outdress the richest king in history. Flowers truly are magnificent, aren't they? We take them for granted, but stop and think for a minute. What a gift God's given us. Could have just been all green. Could have been all brown. 
See, God values his people more than birds, more than flowers. God clothes the grass with flowers and you're more valuable. And so have faith. Don't be of little faith. Faith is trust in him. It's trust in his goodness. It's trust in his plan. Faith is the confidence that God can and will act on his people's behalf. He will provide. And so fear not. Luke 12, Jesus mentions birds again. He says, they're not five sparrows sold for two pennies. And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. God cares for you. He knows you. He loves you. He will not forget you. He values you. So fear not. So the question is, do you trust him? Friends, the implication here of these verses is that anxiety is a matter of unbelief. Like so many sins are a matter of unbelief. When we're anxious, we're not believing that God is truly sovereign. When we're anxious, we're actually saying we know better than God. We think we know better. If we believed he was sovereign, we believed he had a plan, we wouldn't worry, would we? It's a matter of unbelief. When we're anxious, we're not believing that God is good. When we're anxious, we're not believing that God cares for us, but he does. And then Jesus sums up what he said so far. Look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the pagans, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He says, therefore, because of all these reasons, he says again, do not be anxious. Why? Because the Gentiles are. The Gentiles seek after those things. Pagans run after these things. And so Jesus here, this brilliant philosopher king, is setting up two portraits for us. Once again, the disciples and the, the Gentiles, the disciples and the pagans. And what are the differences? One's anxious about the things of this world. That's all they have. Comes and goes. Disciples do not, though. Pagans seek after worldly things. Anxious about worldly things. In contrast, though, what do disciples do? Look at the next verse, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. By contrast, we, disciples of Jesus, we've got a different orientation. We've got a higher purpose. Our deepest desire is to live for him. This is to be our constant preoccupation, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Do all things for the glory of God, 1 Corinthians 10 or Ephesians 3. Whatever we do, we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. If we seek first the kingdom of God, what's the kingdom? We've seen it multiple times in Matthew. Put simply, it's the rule of God. It's what Jesus came to bring. It's the saving rule and reign of God. So seeking the kingdom is seeking after God's kingship, his rule, his lordship, his leadership. To seek the kingdom is to resolve to live under God's direction and God's control. And how do we do that? By submitting to his word. God's kingship means God's people living under God's rule. And this is a present imperative. We are continually seeking first the kingdom. Continually seeking to live under his rule. Continually seeking to submit to his lordship. We strive 
to align our lives with our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. Seek first the kingdom. First. Speaks to the issue of priority. We seek first the kingdom. It's our main thing. It comes first and then all the other stuff. I wonder, is this true for you? Is your life prioritized around the lordship of Christ? Do you seek the kingdom first? Does it become before all things? Does it come before your job? Does it come before your relationships? Does it come before your hobbies? You know, Christians often think about three indicators to, to show whether or not we truly prioritize God, and that is our, our time, our talents, and our treasures. Can you look at your time? Do you prioritize God's kingship with your time? How do you use your time? What about your talents, the way God has gifted you? Do you prioritize the use of your talents for yourself or for some other thing or for the Lord or for his church? Your treasures. Can you look at your checkbook and see, okay, he's seeking the kingdom. She's seeking the kingdom. The way we use our time and talents and treasures. Is it consistent with the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord? And if not, the invitation is the same to all of us. It's repent. Repent again, turning from our agenda and taking on his agenda, turning from sin, turning to the Lord. That's the call. In fact, remember, flip just back a page or two. It's the first message of John the Baptist in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, repent, turn from sin to the Lord for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus agrees. Flip the page and look at chapter four, verse 17. It's the message of Jesus. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Seek first the kingdom, drop your agenda, deny yourself and follow him in all of life. That's our first core value as a church here at Southside. We worship Jesus in all of life. We don't want to just have Sunday only worshipers. We want people who worship all day, every day, seeking to honor him. And so let me encourage you, prioritize your life around the rule of God. Make the kingdom first. Make it your north star. Make Jesus Christ the cornerstone. It's lost on us, but in ancient architecture, cornerstone was the first stone and it was the most important stone Ephesians 2 says the church is a temple we're being built up around the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ the cornerstone is the the stone that is set and everything else aligns to that stone is Jesus your cornerstone as you prioritize the kingdom Jesus assures us God will take care of all the rest all these things will be added to you your needs will be met as he said in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And in the case we missed it, Jesus reiterates the point that anxiety, anxiety and, and worry, it's really pointless. Look at verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I love the way King Jimmy translates this one. Let me read it to you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Anxiety is really pointless. It won't add to your life, he says, and it does no good. So just focus on today. Be faithful today, Spurgeon said. Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength. Let me say that again. 
Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strength. And so take no thought for the morrow. Take thought for today. If tomorrow brings a cross, he who sends it's going to provide the grace needed to bear it. Jesus commands us, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious about life. Don't be anxious about food. Don't be anxious about clothing. Don't be anxious about the future. It's pointless. Montague put it this way. He says, my life has been full of terrible misfortunes, most of which never happened. Just focus on today. Daily faithfulness. Get up. Seek the Lord, work unto him, have dominion, take ground for Christ, share the gospel, love people, repent when you fail, go to bed, get up, do it again. Just focus on daily faithfulness. Next thing you know, you're going to look up and you've lived a life of faithfulness. I call it gospel plodding, P-L-O-D, plod for the glory of God. Seek first the kingdom and don't be anxious and maybe like, well, that sounds really nice. I would love not to be anxious. How do I get there? Well, again, first, we can't believe the culture's theology. That's like the first step we've got to get to. And believe me, the culture has a theology. Everybody has a theology. We're all theologians. Culture has a theology. It has a certain view of God. It has a certain view of man. It has a certain view of our problems. It has a certain view of where our problems come from. It has a certain view of the solution. And so first, we've got to deny culture's theology that says you can't help it. I can't help being anxious. Jesus says you can and you must. And so how? Well, he's already told us and to summarize it, he says, because your father cares for you. That's why. But let me close here with, with five applications and five implications. As should be obvious, number one, our emotions matter to God. Why do they matter to God? They're actually really good indicators. Emotions express our values. And our evaluations, and they tell us what we really believe. For example, if I say, I believe God is sovereign on paper, yet I am just racked with anxiety about the future, I don't believe God is sovereign. I don't really believe He's in control, and that emotion is expressing my true belief. And God commands our emotions right here and many other places. In fact, God commands our emotions in every book of the Bible. And so contrary to contemporary therapeutic culture, you can control them. You can make headway. And you're responsible for God to do so. And the good news is he's given us all that we need. He's given us the necessary resources to fight sinful emotions. So one, realize that they matter. Anxiety matters. Number two, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but the source of anxiety is unbelief. When we're anxious and when we're worrisome, we're not believing God. We've, we've, we've believed some misperception of who he is. So what do we need to do? We need to bolster our belief. We need to strengthen our faith. We need to know God aright. We need good theology. We need to turn to scripture and have our faith strengthened. Speaking about the word in Psalm 119, great peace have those who love your law. That's really what we're talking about is peace. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. So love the law. Isaiah 26, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. 
We need to bolster our belief by turning to the promises of God and meditating on his faithfulness, his faithfulness in our own individual lives and his faithfulness explained in scripture and anticipate his faithfulness being demonstrated in our present circumstances and anticipate his faithfulness to his, us in our future circumstances. Listen to Psalm 77. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? And then I said, I will appeal to this. To the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Church, the way to eradicate anxiety is to gain perspective and consider how good he is. How good he's been to you. How good he promises to be. Similarly, in Lamentations 3, we read this, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. He's in a bad place. What does he do? But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. We need to preach to ourselves and remind ourselves of how good he is and how good he's been to us. Bolster our belief because when we're anxious, we're not believing something about him. And so we need to know and study his character and his goodness and his sovereignty. His name, who he is, Proverbs 18, 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. So first, they matter. Second, it's a matter of unbelief. Third, it's a matter of idolatry. Idolatry remembers putting anyone or anything before God. And so when we're anxious about A, it's likely that A has replaced God. Jerry Wilson says, worry is the worship song we sing to our idols. It's the smoke that rises from whatever sacrifice our heart is making. I wonder if that would be helpful in your fight against anxiety is to ask, what's replaced God right now? What am I actually loyal to? What am I actually valuing? What am I actually worshiping? So when you're anxious, stop and ask what tune is my heart singing right now? Worry is placing hope in something other than God. Worry, anxiety, is valuing something more than God. That's never going to go well. David Pallison puts it like this. If what you most value can be taken away or destroyed, then you set yourself up for anxiety. If what you most value can be taken away or destroyed, you set yourself up for anxiety. And so when you're worrying, ask yourself, what is it that I want right now? When I'm fearful, ask, why, how am I not trusting God? And then identify it. Identify the unbelief, identify the idol, and then remove it. How? Well, it leads to our fourth point. Controlling anxiety involves controlling our thought life. Our thought life, our mind is so important in the battle of sanctification. Renewal of the mind, Romans 12. 2 Corinthians 10, though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, they're not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey 
Christ. And so when worry intrudes, we take it captive and we analyze it and we put it away. Remember Ephesians 4, that's what we're called to do, to put on the new self, put off the old self. Put off the old self, renew the mind, put on the new self. This is what we do. This is called repentance. Faith and repentance, faith and repentance. Put off, renew the mind, put on. So we put off anxiety and we put on trust. Put off worry and we put on joy. We put off fear and we put on hope. We take thoughts captive to obey Jesus. It's gaining perspective. It's zooming out. This is the key to the battle against anxiety. Continually turning from wrong thinking to the Lord. Running to him. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Put off anxiety, put on love, put on thanksgiving. That's why he throws that in there. You know, thanksgiving and anxiety, they really can't go together in the same heart. And neither can love. Because fear really is just self-centered. It's the opposite of love. Love is giving of self for the good of another. Fear is concerned with what I might lose. Love is what I might give. And so put off fear. Put on love. Renew the mind. Renew the mind with the word. It's a matter of belief. If you're comfortable, let me just ask you to close your eyes for a moment. I just want you to be undistracted. And I want you to hear these promises. I'm just going to read for a moment. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 55, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Psalm 56, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? Psalm 94, when I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, helped me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Isaiah 41, fear not. Listen to the Lord speaking to you. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 43, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Hebrews 13 he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Trust the promises. Fifth and finally, fear the Lord. What's the ultimate 
solution to the fear of man, to fear in general, it's to fear the Lord. Jesus says this in another place, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I'll warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he's killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. It's a lost call in today's church because the the portrait of God that is often portrayed, there's nothing to fear about him. But the God of the Bible is a God of reverential majesty and holiness. He's to be feared. He's to be revered. So we fear him, not people, not circumstances. When he has his rightful place, everything else is put in its place. Seek first the kingdom, all this will be added to you. So to fear the Lord is really just to, to fear displeasing him. It's a respect, a reverence, a foundational eagerness to honor him in all of life. It's a healthy, reverential awe of his holiness. The fear of the Lord, more than any fear of anything else it should set the agenda for our actions it should set the agenda for our reactions should set the agenda for our responses Stuart Scott says this the fear of God is an acknowledgement of and in awe of who he is which causes either full and glad submission to his loving will or terror of his judgments Psalm 112 has lit me up recently and it begins saying blessed is the man who fears the Lord but then just a few verses later it says this he's not afraid of bad news his heart is firm trusting the Lord his heart is steady he will not be afraid that's what the fear of the Lord leads to don't be afraid of bad news you're gonna be all right so when you're anxious ask yourself what am I fearing more than God What is it that I want? What is it that I'm valuing? What is it that I'm fearing more than him? Jesus, the king, the Lord of the world, the one who loves you and gave himself for you, the one who has your everlasting joy as one of his main aims, says, do not be anxious. Your father cares for you. Focus your life on seeking the kingdom and everything else will be all right. Let's pray. Father, we believe, help our unbelief. God, would you give us help in the battle against anxiety and worry and fear? It seems as if this emotion has trumped so many in our day and no doubt many of us in this room battle it on the daily. And so we ask for your help. As that emotion rises and as we feel it rising, whether it means blood pressure rises or there's a knot in the stomach, would you help us to take thoughts captive to the obedience of the Lord, knowing where true joy is found? Would you help us to ask questions of the emotion? Why am I feeling this way? What has taken the place of God? What am I fearing more than him? And would you help us to preach to ourselves and remind ourselves of your care and your provision of your sovereignty and your goodness, especially displayed in the cross of Jesus Christ? Help us to trust you. Help us to trust your character. And help us to seek first your kingdom. God, I pray that you would show us the, the, the brevity of life and the futility of worrying about this life and show us the glory of the age to come so that we might seek it first in all of life, knowing that ultimately that's what's going to bring you the most honor and knowing that's what's going to bring us the most joy. So help us. We want to please you. We pray it in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen.